You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And hello, America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. I, uh, David, as you know, I was out of the uh, country for a little while, had a little bit of a hiatus. Jeff Breedlove came in and helped make Greg's List great again. I heard he did a, a stand-up job. Thank yeah, you what for, are you doing here? Thank you. I know. I was about to say, Jeff, uh, you know, it looks like my day job, I have been replaced. So shout out to you, and uh, thank you for covering for me. Um, yes, a lot of people have asked, did I feel the Ecuador earthquake? Yes, I did. I was um, on the second floor of a two-story house and uh, kind of taking a nap. It was about 7 o'clock at night. And in Ecuador, since it's on the equator, uh, every day begins at about 6.30. And the sunrise at 6.30, sunset at 6.30. So it was dark. And I was, I'd been to the gym, kind of had a, a busy day. I was kind of snoozing on the bed, and I felt kind of a shaking and very similar to what you would experience if you know sometimes really loud thunderstorms can shake a house a little bit you know you can hear a thunderclap but normally the the house starts stops shaking pretty quickly after a thunderstorm and this light kind of shaking just kept on continuing and it slowly and slowly increased in intensity and next thing i know the tv that i was kind of watching started to fall and I did what any good American male would do and sacrificed my own body to save the TV. So I got up and I was holding onto the TV while this shaking was going on. And then it got really intense. And so I held onto the TV and then I was holding onto the wall at the same time. I heard this thrashing noise going on outside. And where was your wife? Screaming. The wife was driving around with her family and she was actually stuck on the roads, which was nothing. I was at the house by myself and I heard this loud thrashing noise i looked out in the backyard and they have a swimming pool and it was moving back and forth so fast it looked like the wave pool at whitewater when the waves are going and it ended up losing about two feet of water it was shaking so much and did the um, pool crack or anything oh yeah well the pool (coughs) itself did not crack but the concrete walls around it uh cracked the house i was in is pretty solid i it, the the total experience probably lasted two minutes of pretty hardcore shaking. Once it stopped, I started trying to go down the stairs. The power was off. There were car alarms going off everywhere in the neighborhood. It was pretty chaotic. And once it stopped, I tried walking down the stairs, and it still felt like the earth was unstable underneath me. It was, it, I uh, liken it to walking on a trampoline, where every time you take a step, it feels like you're actually pushing down the entire earth. And... Uh, that uh, I got downstairs and I realized that I had left my phone upstairs. So I ran back up, or ran is not the, the best description, but I walked back up the stairs, found my phone. It has a flashlight on it. And so I went out to the gate. I was technically locked in. Everybody in Ecuador has uh, houses with pretty extensive uh, locks and alarm systems. And I guess when the power goes off, it just locks uh, up. So I was not able to get in. Uh, I started hearing the neighbors kind of coming around. I asked if it was an earthquake, and they said yes. I said I didn't think what you did guys they had say those. When they said they, yes, they call- did they say yes, dumbass? They said- <laughs> of course it was an earthquake. <laughs> well, you know, I was just trying to make small talk, and uh, they kept on yelling terremoto, terremoto, which is the Spanish word for earthquake. And that sounds even worse than earthquake, doesn't it? Got a bunch of foreigners. Well, particularly yeah. if you don't know what it means. Exactly. Well, I was able to put to deduce what it meant pretty quickly. Uh, police started patrolling the neighborhood, and then I saw 
kind of some movement walking around and a lot of times what will happen in situations like this is looters will come out and so then i started to get a little worried that uh you know the house could be broken into so i turned off my flashlight and i went back inside and i tried to survey the refrigerator i was worried that i could be stuck inside the house for a long time because i had no idea what condition the roads were in everything looked pretty normal you know from my little brief uh, pur- purview, but um, you know, you never know if the roads caved in anywhere or bridges or anything like that. There was some minor damage in the city that we were in. There were two deaths, uh, unfortunately, in the epicenter up in uh, Manabi and uh, Manta, the northern province. It was a 7.8 on the Richter scale. Where I was in Guayaquil, it was about a six on the Richter scale. So certainly, anybody that's been out in California and experienced. Uh, a six or so that it's probably very similar because in her city the construction's pretty modern the architecture's oh, pretty yeah, sound. Yeah, I start to ask. Do they is Ecuador prone to earthquakes? Apparently, they hadn't had one like this for thirty years. It was uh, when we first got down to Quito, which is about two miles high. It's in a very it's an Andean uh, city. It's very high, and uh, I was kind of looking at all the mountains around, and I asked several you know, locals, I said, do you guys have earthquakes here? Because I was thinking it could be a huge problem if ro- you know, rock slides. And uh, they are like, nope, no earthquakes. And, mm-hmm. and <laughs> sure enough, well, a week okay, later. So then houses are not really particularly built earthquake-proof? Yeah. It's certainly not anything like uh, California or Seattle or anything like that, especially in the northern provinces where most of them are built. They they built out of like concrete blocks, kind of, and they're just, they're very unstable, I could imagine. And so that was what happened and why so many deaths occurred in the northern part of the country, because you, you had these three or four-story buildings, uh, apartments, and they just kind of crumbled on top of each other. And I believe the death toll is at 400, and it's still rising. Um, we were able to help out with some groups that were taking uh, food and water and clothing. The, the is your father-in-law a doctor? Yeah, he's a cardiologist. Oh, okay. uh, but um, he's he wouldn't. I mean, he wouldn't be real useful. This is these kinds of injuries, you know, or broken legs, internal bleeding, stuff like that. So that's hopefully the. Uh, uh, a triage or something was able to get set up. I've seen a lot of aid flowing down there. And also we've seen a little bit of this opportunism where these charities magically pop up. I would encourage folks to do some due diligence. Uh, if you do want to help out with the relief effort, um, you know, stay away from the Red Cross and entities like that that have 80 to 90 percent of their donations go to salaries and benefits. Uh, there's a lot of local charities there. There's some missionary work that's going on there. So if you do want to donate, you can always contact me. My wife's family is uh, actively trying to help folks there as well. And uh, hopefully they'll be able to uh, to rebuild in a timely fashion. And, uh, you know, again, it was something that I'd never experienced. I will never uh, take an earthquake lightly. I'd always kind of seen videos, you know, in California with stuff shaking. And I just, I was like, oh, that doesn't look so bad. But when you when you are experiencing it, you really cannot walk around. You just hold on for dear life and pray that it stops. I tell you, the, the earthquake of earthquakes that I remember was watching the the uh, playoff game, a baseball game, in the, the San Francisco earthquake. And that was almost like it was live and direct, as you saw, as you were watching. <clears throat> the game hadn't even started, as I recall, but the camera started shaking and the picture started shaking, and it was pretty obvious quickly. I guess this might have been before you were born. It was probably, uh-huh. yeah, or you might have been just a baby. You don't remember yeah. it, I'm sure. No. 
But uh, was that here in Georgia? No, no, in San Francisco. Uh, I was saying, oh yeah, I do remember that hearing about it. But uh, oh, were it was, you out there for that? No, we were watching the game. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, I was. That was in the eighties. I was. Certain, I was like eighty nine. Yeah, I was alive then. Right, I, was, right. I was like fourteen, Dave. Fourteen? <laughs> yeah. You were all up? Yeah, I was seventy. I was born in seventy five. So oh, that. Okay. I, oh, I do remember that. That was crazy. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, I, you know, that, that was during the World Series game, yeah. Was it the World Series yeah. or playoff? It, you know, it may have been the World Series, but I remember it was in San Francisco. And the fear that I had was 1989, the, uh, it looks the like. bridges uh, collapsed yeah. on each other. You yeah. Know? That would put the fear, <laughs> you know, like I said, people think about Tornado Alley and, you know, and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But like we were talking before the show, mm-hmm. you know, a tornado, even the one that hit Dunwoody many years ago, um, we heard it go over our house, but we were we were prepared. We were in the basement. We were in our safe room and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I, you know, obviously didn't want it to hit my house, but we were prepared if right. anything happened. Yeah, you duck and, and cover with that, yeah, right? And, yeah. and we, you know, we knew it was coming. We heard it go over the house, and uh, fortunately, it didn't hit our house. It didn't hit the club, but mm-hmm. it certainly did a lot of damage just on the other side mm-hmm. of the club and the other side of uh, Mount Vernon. But an earthquake, man, the only thing you can do is grab your butt and, and yeah. hope you don't fall. And the, I've always had this terrible fear, I don't know why, but of, of uh, it's sort of like a, a the earthquake and, and there's a dividing of, of an area and you fall in like a sinkhole <laughs> oh, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. You know? Like the earth splits apart yeah. and you fall into the abyss. Yeah. And that's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. geez, this is, this is not yeah. going to be fun. Yeah. I mean, during the thing, I mean, I, was, I wasn't I was completely freaking out. I was able to kind of think things through. And so I was, how long before your in-laws and your wife got uh, Actually, they got home much quicker. I mean, I, I was just sitting there. And then, I, like I said, I went inside and kind of tried to hide from the uh, the possible looting outside. I didn't want to make an, a, a, you know, any kind of uh, announcement. Hey, gringo here. Come kidnap me. <laughs> but uh, so I kind of hid in there. And they were back within about 25 minutes. And Kathy said that. Uh, they were at a certain part of they were kind of near the airport when the earthquake started happening and she said she first thought it was a problem with the car because it was she said the roads <laughs> were, were weaving up oh, and wow. down and her pair the people in the car with her were like what the hell are you doing and she's like I'm not doing anything and they realized pretty quickly and she said it was terrifying to be out on the road and basically everybody just kind of stopped driving and I guess one of the funniest observations I have is after they came to get me we're all trying to check in uh, with the family to make sure everybody's okay. Thank God everybody uh, and the immediate family is okay. Um, and Facebook, we were able to – everybody in Ecuador, normally when an emergency happens, you're kind of just supposed to stay put and let it ride out. The whole damn city seemed to hop in their car and just start driving around. And um, – we went to certain parts of the cities that had that had power, and the gas stations seemed to be very well equipped. I don't know if they had generators, but uh, a lot of the gas stations there actually have restaurants in it. It's kind of like the ones here that may have a subway in it. Um, so they have hot dogs and sandwiches and sweets, and so everybody in the city seemed to congregate to these uh, gas stations, and they did have power, so we were able to check in. And I tell you what, Facebook immediately, once I was able to log in, 
It sent me a note, a push notification, and said, it looks like you're in Ecuador. Please check in to let everyone know you're safe. And so that actually became a pretty uh, effective tool to kind of keep up with the family. And obviously with instant messages, my telephone service would work on wireless, but I didn't have uh, international calls set up, uh, nor did Kathy, but we were able to uh, get everybody uh, accounted for and... um, very surreal. Uh, we finally got back home after about five hours of driving around. And the ask, you mentioned twice now, and I, I, obviously <clears throat> the safety of Ecuador, how safe is it? You said you didn't want to attract any Yeah, I mean, you know, with the, uh, it, it, they, there are kidnappings sometimes. They call them sequestro express. Um, normally they just kidnap you, drive you around a bunch of ATMs, um, but there are uh, it it's it can't you can go to a very bad area and there certainly was looting um, you know with the power off and the police kind of uh, distracted so there you know there were things like that I I didn't I have never feared for my life there but I've certainly seen areas that I would not want to be walking around. Well, your father-in-law obviously doesn't practice cardiology in his home, so <laughs> does he have a bodyguard or? Something? Uh, you know they it, their neighborhood. I mean, they, yeah, they do have. Uh, they do have a little bit of a security staff, um, you know, people that work. He owns a couple of car dealerships, so he has people that work there and mechanics and drivers and stuff like that. So it's not it's not like, you know, don't get this idea that it's Bogota in the 1980s and, you know, they're literally grabbing people off the street. It's not nothing like Colombia. But, I mean, there's certainly areas of uh, really impoverished um, folks that are uh, – you know that that are capable of small crime. They also do have an illegal immigration problem there uh, with Colombians that uh, can do murder for hire. So it is it, it, you have to be on your guard for sure. So, but anyway, we uh, talked about the earthquake for the first segment. We'll be back with Nick Cooper and Elizabeth Wharton to talk about responsible drone ownership or dronership. Back in a couple of minutes on Greg's list. It's not just your garden; it's the way you live, and there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. 
You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. Just relayed my uh, experience with the Ecuador earthquake. We're on to more earth-shaking uh, matters right now. Tonight, there's an event sponsored by the America's Future Foundation and the uh, National Review uh, Institute, which is a uh, it's really an interesting topic. Uh, my, my next guest, Nick Cooper, uh, put the, together an outstanding panel. I'm still trying to figure out how I was uh, invited to this uh, prestigious list. But, uh, Nick Cooper, welcome to Greg's List. I know you've been a, a listener of the show, and I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to call in today. How are you? Yes, sir. I am doing well. How are you guys today? Oh, man, we're great. In fact, I uh, uh, our second guest uh, just got here live in the studio, Elizabeth Wharton, and um, just the, the topics of drones um, and kind of this new frontier that we're on, I think it really uh, dovetails well with this the, the Republicanian and the uh, Conservatarian manifesto that we'll be talking about at the event tonight, and we're literally living in a, we're kind of legislating as we go, and I think it's important for all uh, specters of the political sphere to weigh in on exactly what we want to do with this new technology and how we should legislate it, how it should be regulated, what degrees it should be, and uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm really fascinated by it, and uh, I hope you can kind of listen in later and, and maybe chime in once we start getting with Elizabeth, but uh, back to tonight, um, tonight's program, you were, tell us a little bit about it and how you kind of conceived the idea and were able to get uh, these guests lined up for it. Yes, sir. Well, first off, I would like to say that our thoughts, prayers, and condolences are with the people in Ecuador who have been affected by the earthquake. Mm -hmm. We are, uh, hearts definitely go out to them. I encourage everyone out there to do what they can to try to support those folks. And uh, I think I speak for everyone when we say, Greg, that we are glad that you and your family are uh, safe and sound and got through that uh, okay. Yeah, thank you for Um, that. But, so, just about the event tonight. So, uh, it was a, uh, a genesis from the National Review Institute. They're touring Charles around. So, so the writer is Charles C.W. Cook. He's a National Review writer who wrote a book called The, uh, the Conservatarian Manifesto. And basically what it does is that it goes into, uh, it sort of talks about the civil war going on on the right over here between conservatives and libertarians. And it talks about a lot of the issues that conservatives and libertarians can agree upon, and then it goes into some of the principles behind some of the issues that they might disagree on. Mm -hmm. Uh, And actually that dovetails really well into your uh, question about drones, because what we're going to do is that we discuss the first principles, and then from the first principles flow the legislation that's going to govern those kinds of uh, activities. So we're real excited that uh, you, Greg, will be on the panel tonight. Mm -hmm. You'll be joined with... Charles C.W. Cook, as well as Monica Perez, a libertarian radio show host from WSB News. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, when I was looking at their resumes, I think, is it too late? Can I add Earthquake Survivor to mine just to bolster my credentials? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. We, will, uh, we will make a note of it. Yes, sir. 
like I told you, I, I told some folks last night. I went to a libertarian meeting last night in DeKalb to kind of prep myself for the uh, the discussion tonight. And um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about this civil war. Uh, in fact, the libertarian folks last night they were talking about uh there was a couple republicans in there i consider myself republicanian uh i i just think the libertarian party has has missed out on a lot of opportunities to expand themselves especially this year with the with the republican party in such disarray and the democrats offering a 74 year old socialist and a uh a, a bitter old shrew that may be indicted by the fbi so i would think the libertarian which is a true third party uh you know we're having all these discussions about oh we need a third party I'm thinking we have one. It's called the Libertarian Party. They're on the ballots in most states and actually do uh, run candidates. So um, I guess the question is, is is the Libertarian Party leveraging this opportunity or are they wasting it again like they have in the past? From what I have seen is that the Libertarian Party is definitely making the best of it that they can. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the latest polls that I saw uh, when they included a possible Gary Johnson as the nominee, that there is an actual contest for uh, who's going to be the Libertarian nominee this year. Um, <laughs> there was a, a very interesting uh, presidential nominee forum on John Stoffel's show uh, re- recently involving cool. Gary Johnson, John McAfee, and Austin Peterson, who are the three leading Libertarian nominees. Right. That said, on this poll, uh, when you included Gary Johnson in a toss-up between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, uh, Johnson was polling at around 11% or so. Right. Uh, assuming that, that that's pulling votes away from two major parties because people are really turned off by what's going on um, with all the vitriol being thrown around and mudslinging that people are just not appreciating anymore. Yeah, and the, the kind of the, the gossip last night, I guess, was that um, you know the libertarian movement was, again, going to have to try to peel off from disaffected Republicans, and then the Republicans would try to go back to their conservative limited government roots and pull back in the libertarians. And they, it was, seemed like they thought that uh, it was kind of a cyclical battle where Republicans, once they have power for a few years, start uh, turning into big government cronies, which uh, I believe we've seen that here at the state level in Georgia, and certainly at the federal level, which is why we have such uh, discontent in this outsider persona um, has taken over. You know, if you're an incumbent legislator right now, you've got a big target on you, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it's not a good year if you are a career politician or if you're an incumbent, that's for sure. Yeah, now did you see that Stossel has uh, lung cancer? Have you? Uh, I watch his show, at, I believe it's on once a week. I haven't seen it in a, a little while, but I, uh, I, I'm fascinated by his shows. There was uh, one show that he had uh, that really covered uh, the Native American population. And, um, you know, the problem is whenever we take a look at these social programs, a lot of people don't have the courage to actually give facts because they, they, they worry about being called a racist or some kind of, uh, you know, a white supremacist or whatever. But this took the uh, Native Americans, and it showed one of these tribes in uh, North Carolina did, has never received any government funding and have turned into capitalists. And they basically opened up some Indian uh, banks, and they do construction, and they are by far the highest uh, per capita wealth of any uh, Indian tribe in the uh, in the country. And uh, I, I enjoy Stossel for being able to talk uh, in economic terms about these issues and not maybe use this vitriolic language that we hear from certain people on the right and left. But I was going to say, I, I forgot, that with uh, Stossel diagnosed with lung cancer, is uh, what, um, have you heard anything about his prognosis, or is it just whatever the media is reporting? 
Uh, yeah, I actually saw an article, I glanced at an article that he wrote himself. Uh, yeah, it's really unfortunate that he was diagnosed with cancer, mm. but um, from what I saw, it is not terminal or anything. Okay. I think they're able to clear it all up, and uh, he'll Great. make a relatively full recovery. Um, but what was interesting in the article is that he wrote uh, his perspective of being a hospital uh, patient and being a po- hospital customer of sorts, and mm-hmm. was talking about many of the distortions that are inherent in the healthcare system right now, caused by a lot of government intrusions and government disruptions of the healthcare system. And mm. he was giving his perspective as yep. a patient, having gone through a terrible ordeal such as killing with cancer. Yeah, well, and, and you know, him being able to report directly from a scene like that is, uh, I think, I think that's going to be a fascinating story to uh, to follow. Did you see um, a couple years ago when Ann Coulter was on, she went to, uh, it was a libertarian event, and she was basically demeaning anybody that had a, an, a, a big L or a little L by her name. I'm sure she's reviled in the uh, libertarian community, but she basically said, all you guys want to do is legalize pot. And she just was so condescending to uh, a lot of the friends that I know that are big L libertarians and, and, and some of the ones that are more small L like I am. But uh, that kind of uh, talk back and forth, it's demeaning to the libertarian effort. But, you know, what, what do you what what's the best way to combat stuff like that? Uh, well, I think in, in Tur- turn, turning her off, case, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, she, she seems to feed off of it. Yeah, I think it's sort of like a throwing fuel to her fire whenever anyone tries to get back at her and goes down to her level. It's sort of like if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. <laughs> so she seems to be that type of uh, personality. Um, now, uh, but yeah, so w- one thing that uh, libertarians, I think, have really tried to make an effort at um, in, in recent years is try to be more winsome in the way that they approach people who don't agree with them because we they realize that they are in the minority and that it's uh, a person's impulse to not really understand exactly uh, what it is that they're talking about with some of these uh, ideas of freedom, even though when, when you start approaching people from a different way and you say, okay, maybe that there's the reason that the government doesn't need to be doing this particular act that you think that it mm-hmm. should be doing. Right. Uh, and that there's a better way that it, you can lead to an outcome, you know, through the private actions of free people. And uh, after a while, you know, people can be turned on to those kinds of ideas. It, so libertarian ideas do have more to them than just uh, we're just Republicans who want to smoke pot <laughs> of sorts. You know? yeah. And, and uh, on that whole issue, actually, between conservatives and libertarians, I kind of consider myself uh, more agnostic and sort of in between mm-hmm. because I can honestly see myself agreeing with libertarians on a lot of issues, and then I can see myself agreeing with conservatives on a lot of issues. So yeah. it's, uh, it's difficult to kind of pick out which side is better. You sort of have to take it as you go. Well, and, and I, think, um, I, think that, you know, uh, I think that we have to really concentrate on winning some of these local issues. As you know, I was a very outspoken critic of the uh, taxi cab industry a couple years ago for their attack on the rideshare right. industry. The craft beer industry, which is a, uh, a job-creating engine here in Georgia is under assault from the distributors who like to have this protection. And, and from my perspective, I think that if we can win these battles, that, that are, uh, is it populist? Of course. But is, is transportation freedom, is that one of the most fundamental freedoms that we have? The ability to choose how we're going to get around the city or how we're going to get around the country? I think that uh, some of these issues that maybe I've been accused of just trying to play small ball, I think if we can't win on these issues, then we're sure as hell not going to be able to have entitlement reform. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's a matter of making the argument on the, the local level and then blowing it up to the larger, you know, yep. uh, 
the larger macro level, so to speak. And uh, winning those kinds of battles on the local level are a way of preserving freedom. Right. And it is, it's very important to remain attuned to, uh, to all those local issues. Yep. Well, Nick Cooper, I appreciate it. I uh, really enjoyed this segment, um, and uh, I can't tell you how enthusiastic and fired up I am for tonight to be joining uh, America's Future Foundation, uh, National Review, Monica Perez, Charles Cook, Nick Cooper, and the rest of the crew. 7.30 is program start time at Hudson Grill Midtown. For those of you who like public transportation, it's right next to the Midtown Marta. I will probably take Uber to Marta, Marta there. So how cool is that for a conservative to be using public transportation? My my legal counsel here, Elizabeth Wharton's nodding and smiling in agreement uh, next to me. <laughs> but, uh, right. yeah, I think it's going to be a great show tonight. 6.30 for the networking, 7.30. Nick Cooper, we'll see you in a few hours, okay? Absolutely. Yes, sir. Looking forward to it. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back in a couple minutes with uh, Elizabeth Wharton. She's here live in the studio. And uh, just I, I just to preface it a little bit, I chatted with her for about 45 minutes last night. So if I appear to be more of an expert on this issue, it's because I had a great tutorial session last night. But there's a lot to learn. Uh, Elizabeth's knowledge on the uh, on drones and the technology and some of the laws around them and privacy is uh, it, it's, it's really extremely impressive. And uh, I invite you. To, to share this uh, uh, next segment with a friend, let them know. We'll have the podcast up later as well. But uh, we are really striking out on a new frontier in this, and uh, it's truly fascinating. See you in a couple minutes on Greg's List. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. 
And hello, America. Welcome back to Greg's Us Live, the home of serious journalism. Got uh, an outstanding segment lined up. Elizabeth has told me I've uh, really put put the pressure on her to, to deliver an outstanding program. But no, nah, I'm just kidding. But uh, we've got Elizabeth Wharton here, an attorney with Hall Booth Smith. Uh, they do a lot of lobbying and um, uh, legal work and regulation and privacy and a very renowned uh, law firm here in Atlanta. I believe is y'all have uh, other branches of Hall Booth in other states or? Oh, is, yes. is this the main? Okay, you do, okay. We are throughout the southeast. Okay. Pretty much covering Dixie-like dude to borrow a slogan. <laughs> Was that the AJC that used to come up with that one? I believe so. Okay, well, cool. Well, anyway, we're going to be talking about drones and um, not the ones that kill terrorists in the Middle East, but the ones that are flying over your picnics, the ones that are in your yards, the ones that are delivering pizzas potentially with uh, with Amazon, the ones that are taking these really cool videos, the ones that are making these sorority rush videos, the ones that are doing these epic uh, kind of, of views and vistas of mountains and, and things, and possibly the ones spying on you through your windows. Uh, we are really in uncharted territory here. And uh, Elizabeth, I just want you to kind of take the take the mic from here and just kind of explain how you got involved with it and uh, just a rehash of kind of what we talked about last night about some of these uh, unintended consequences and some of the things that we may not be looking at. You told me I was looking at it kind of in a two-dimensional way and really we need to be looking at it in four dimensions. And I've, I was just mind blown is the best way I can describe it. Well, and the easiest way to give perspective on that is that I'm a technology attorney. I am not an aviation attorney. So when you're looking at you know, uh, the drones that are flying around that you can buy at the hobby shop mm-hmm. or on up to the more expensive uh, aircraft that contain all kinds of LIDAR, FLIR, that are using sensors and gathering data not only to get those cool pictures, but also uh, in Georgia, there are big implications for using an agriculture, mm-hmm. being able to scan the crops and get a really broad picture down to a narrow picture of where the spray is going, how the crops are growing and reacting from different vantage points. So all of that technology aspect that's where i come in mm-hmm. and recognizing that the they're not just the rc aircraft you see on the hobby field but they're the internet of things that mm-hmm. everything we're doing today is connected be it your thermostat to your watch to your phone to your car and now you have the aircraft above right and so of course, with that comes the privacy concerns on both how is this being used, the technology and the data that's being collected from a civilian standpoint, but also law enforcement right. and what can be done. And before you have, for example, in Georgia, where the General Assembly, uh, we have a bill sitting on the governor's desk right now that deals with growing this uh, technology within the state, but not from an aircraft perspective, but recognizing the data and really looking at how that plays in from everything from a private property owner Uh to commerce to business to how do we, you know, utility companies want to be able to use this 
technology to scan their lines. Mm-hmm. But and think about like the tra- mm-hmm. from a traffic perspective. Uh, you know, we, we we won't really need the uh, helicopters anymore giving traffic updates. We'll just fly up a drone and uh, and we can see that. So I I can think of numerous applications mm-hmm. just you know off the top of my head. And what we delved into last evening was uh, was truly amazing. So I was really interested in the fact that they were um, kind of connected via Wi-Fi, and that was something that kind of unnerved me as well because of the uh, the data that they could be sharing, the data that they could be collecting, the potential for it to be potentially hacked by uh, an, an unfriendly. Well, and it's not just so with you know, saying, oh, it's Wi-Fi. It's more than that. It's They're connecting through several different uh, radio waves that it's going through you have the now, basic are, rc now are these the drone let's let's build a picture mm-hmm. for the audience these are the drones that are probably one to two feet that have like the three or four uh, motors on it that somebody c- uh, controls from a remote they probably have the r- return switch if they go out is that am, am i building the right picture here or, or yes and no okay. we're talking about everything from and when you're talking about the four uh, four different rotors. That's mm-hmm. the quadcopter. So you have the quadcopters to, there are fixed wing, uh, but remotely controlled. Okay. Everything that can fit from the palm of your hand up to essentially 55 pounds. Okay. And so <laughs> in the no. be it hobbyist aspect, so what okay. you can go buy at the Walmart Target mm-hmm. uh, to what you can special order for thousands of dollars mm-hmm. everything in between you can spend 200 to 10,000 pretty easy um, I went out with my friend Evan uh, a couple weeks ago and he's been um, he's really turned into kind of a hobbyist with it he's been able to take some cool uh, videos of um, you know kind of the skyscapes and, the, and the, the streets at night which is the the colors really popped and so I went out with him to watch it and it, sure enough it once it flies a certain amount away it'll kind of hover there and uh, come back but this thing if it if it just fell out of the sky it would certainly cause damage to a car or a human or uh, you know almost anything that it fell on top of so when you're saying f- there's 55 pounds drones and these aren't military drones that's that, I mean that's like a small child falling out of the sky uh, that could seriously cause some damage so are we going to see a rash of things where some you know in this in this effort to lower the price of drones so everybody can have a 55 pound drone are we going to see them cutting corners perhaps and the drones not having uh, safety precautions and and stuff like that is that something that's a potential danger I know that's not the necessarily the technology side but I just kind of thought of that while we were talking. No, and well, you have to also consider as the technology is developing that safety features are being integrated into them. So when you you also have to look at what the uses are for. Mm-hmm. That from a hobbyist perspective, using a fifty-five pound—I mean, that's a very large aircraft. It's not gonna—it's not as much fun. You're not going to be able to get the acrobatic the aerial acrobatics you have a fpv which is the first person view racing mm-hmm. has been picked up by espn so you're gonna see much more of that okay. the typical fpv aircraft are about the size of uh, if not smaller than your laptop okay. uh, computer and mm-hmm. they're not heavy and so yes if one is errant it's lost control it may it 
could cut someone. Mm-hmm. It could cause some damage, okay. of course. Okay. But uh, depending on who they're flying through, there's insurance uh, mm-hmm. as well as the technology that from everything with the being able to return to home feature. Uh-huh. Geofencing uh-huh. is one thing that... Geofencing is where it couldn't go out of a certain radius that you pre-program? Well, and you see that now with some of the, for example, DJI uh, aircraft, which is the most common. Uh-huh. Uh, that is both on the commercial side as well as the hobbyist once you get outside of the racing. Okay. If you're talking about photography, uh, you see they almost look like a white box mm-hmm. quadcopter. But they have software. I mean, these are not just your radio controlled. They've got between the controllers themselves, the communication networks, the, the GPS Systems, the gyroscopes that are built in. There's a lot going on than just what you think of with you know, playing as a three-year-old, or, you know, small child mm-hmm. with your parents in the front yard. Mm-hmm. They've gotten bigger and better, and with that comes, of course, the risks mm-hmm. uh, that you talked about and concerns of. As with anything, if your coffee maker, uh, which is an IoT connected device could be hacked if your uh, as researchers showed or demonstrated this summer if cars that are connected mm-hmm. to the internet can be hacked anything can mm-hmm. and it's not just the internet but anything that is receiving commands receiving instructions and connecting to the world around yep. it has the potential to have someone else other than the voice of the controller mm-hmm. so to speak jump into that line of communication now you told me last night that um the, the communication between the uh, remote control and the drone, that was uh, some kind of closed circuit or closed gap. You it described it as a way that it could not necessarily, if you have it set up, um, uh, yeah, if you have it set up, that it would not necessarily spill out into other networks. Like, yeah, there was a name you heard. No, it's, it's, well, in what we were talking about, there is kind of separate from the actual so the radio communications uh-huh. and be it Wi-Fi to everything all of that is truly radio waves uh, radio signals mm-hmm. communicating back and forth between okay. the controller and the aircraft itself there are little sensors that and uh, from the radio receivers on the aircraft mm-hmm. and you have areas of the spectrum of the radio spectrum that are open to use by these devices or you have with the gps you have all those communications Mm -hmm. but when you're transmitting the data as with any uh, system for example again kind of going back to that thermostat that any connected device there are ways to section that off from the rest of your network okay so if you're running uh, for example if your home computer and your internet uh, access for your home, mm-hmm. as well as your iPad that you're working on on your lap and your coffee maker and all that, there are ways to what's called air gap, so that oh, air those gap. and so that those devices are not necessarily connecting to the entire network or having access to everything. And okay. that was my question. That comes into play. For example, if I go out, I take my uh, DJI Phantom, and I get some great, you know, for example, you and Evan go out and 
fly around. I get some really cool pictures. Mm-hmm. I want to come home. I want to download those and put them on my Facebook page. Yep. I want to put them on Instagram, YouTube, or even just play with them myself uh, through different software programs. You want to put it on your computer, basically. Take it from the device to the computer. Exactly. So when I'm doing that, that's kind of the... So you have threat vectors of both. You have to maintain the equipment itself. Mm -hmm. You have to maintain your network communications while you're flying the aircraft. Mm -hmm. So all of those can be tampered with. Okay. But then you... What you also have to worry about is whether the data that you've collected... It's more than what you think you've collected right. because of the way the communication yep. between the aircraft and the world around two, it. We've got a 244 break here, but okay. uh, that sounds like it's something that will be uh, several minutes to talk about. With the, you're getting a lot more. Yeah, so I, uh, yeah, if you guys can hold on for a couple more minutes, very interesting topic. Uh, going to talk a little bit about uh, the uh, issue that Elizabeth just brought up and also where we are at a legislative perspective, a regulation perspective. How much is too much? Do you own the drone or does the drone own you. See you in a couple minutes on Greg's List. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Please join us at 4 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Greg's List Live. We're here with uh, Elizabeth Warren from Hall Booth Smith talking about drones. And uh, I raised the question, uh, do you own the drone or does the drone own you? Responsible dronership, if you will. Uh, geofencing, we were talking a little bit about that, a little bit off air, maybe some nefarious uses for the drones. Um, and, and Elizabeth, we kind of cut to our break there. You were going to tell us 
that it's that it's a lot more than just uh, a, a radio controlled craft. Uh, we're sharing a lot more data than maybe the uh, the average uh, person would think. So tell us a little bit about some of that and um, what the uh, maybe unintended consequences of having so much data on a remote object could be. Well, it, it's keep in mind that they're they're aircraft, the software mm-hmm. controlling it, managing it. Uh, then you also have the ground station, the controller itself, and then you have the data. Your laptop and the data that goes onto it. The data that's being collected. Mm-hmm. And some of it just by virtue of the signals and capturing the signals that are going on around the aircraft during flight, and some of it being the intentional data that you you knew you wanted to collect, mm-hmm. be it the photographs, the video, uh, thermal Im- imaging. Mm-hmm. And air temperature, stuff like that. Right. Well, exactly. And depending on if you have some of the fancier equipment, you can get, uh, especially from an agriculture and inspection, uh, the systems, you want to know really the infrared uh-huh. so you can get that thermal imaging as well from it, just regular off the shelf. You buy the software, you buy the camera, uh-huh. and you can do it. But as with you, the prevalence of bringing your own devices, you bring your laptop from work home, uh, you have your iPhone, your, you know, Samsung, you you have your cell phone. That all of these are just handheld computing mm-hmm. devices, right. and just as you have risks with those of hackers or other researchers or nefarious criminals accessing that information on your laptop, you have to worry about them accessing, being able to access the information that has been collected by your drone. Mm-hmm. And really, it's... It's just another door, it seems like. It is. And one of the things that it plays well into the larger Internet of Things Mm -hmm. uh, issues of how do you regulate the TV, the, again, the coffee maker, the thermostat, how do you regulate those devices that previously were not connected, were not part of this bigger... Uh, IOT and but now are what's IOT? Uh, Internet of Things. Okay, so sorry. that's uh, that's and that's, <laughs> that's just the connected. Okay. Yeah, that's just the connected the connected world around us. I know GOT is Game of Thrones. Exactly, um, and did not watch that. Instead, was watching <laughs> Silicon Valley's uh, <laughs> season premiere. Yeah. But with that, you have to work with the device manufacturers okay. and the software. Mm-hmm. Uh, Makers, so that they're incorporating encryption uh, to the extent I know we're not talking about government mandated encryption, but mm-hmm. encrypting those communications. Yeah, putting but some most, sort of. But the iPhone owners want their data encrypted. That was part of some of this debate we've had with the uh, San Bernardino terrorists about I, Apple didn't want to hack their own phone. Turns out somebody was able to hack into it anyway. But that's some of what you're talking about. We want our credit card numbers, our social security numbers, our our medical records. We need that data encrypted for our privacy. Well, and that gets into should it be the government demanding it, or should it be the responsible manufacturing that the consumers mm-hmm. are demanding? Right. That I'm worried about my safety, so I'd like to know that uh, the n- mechanisms of communication for both, you know, just as you put passwords on your home Wi-Fi mm-hmm. network, having those safety mm-hmm. protocols built in. 
And so working within the technology community to figure out what are the solutions we can do from our end mm. and so that I can be a responsible owner, you can be a responsible mm. manufacturer. My f- the firmware that we're running on it is, uh, you know, it's got an antivirus software, something, or patches, and the, the new updates that we were talking about uh, last night. That's interesting. Well, and just as what you're seeing, for example, with the cars. So you have every manufacturers are rolling out these connected cars. Tesla's a good example because with Tesla cars, they they have the ability to roll out software updates without you having to do anything. It's a <laughs> passive, you just have to turn the car on. Yeah, the Wi-Fi is always receiving. It, and it's, theory, right? it is. And, but it, it's not, it's taking that responsibility away from you mm-hmm. uh, and having it so that we know this is a critical. But just as with, you know, your laptop and whether you update or download all the latest patches when they come out uh, with different software, mm-hmm. having that ability for so many more things, including drones. Right. And because right now, the focus on the regulatory aspects are that they're aircraft. So the FAA controls uh, what happens yep. when they leave the ground and go up into the and airspace. And when you buy a drone now, you are supposed to register it with the FAA. Is that correct? Or it depends. Okay. And it depends on so if you're using it for commercial purposes, the answer is yes because it's going to be re- it's required as part of your the current regulatory scheme for commercial operations. So if you're like a uh, real estate agent uh, and you wanted to show overhead views of the house, that would be a commercial purpose. Correct. Right? If okay. you are receiving money um, either through operating the aircraft or the information that you've collected mm-hmm. from it, okay. So it's that exchange of money puts you into commercial uses. Okay. So yes, real estate agents, uh, anywhere to construction. And, I mean, what about, uh, you know, police and uh, fire departments doing searching, search and rescue missions? Would that be under the government uh, drones, which we talked about the earthquake, I believe it was in China last year or the year before, but the drone, mm-hmm. or maybe India, someplace in Asia. <laughs> I know that's a, those are both massive countries, but uh, they the drones were kind of the first on site to see what the hell is going on. And not only do law enforcement, uh, fire and rescue, but also public universities. Mm -hmm. So areas where previously you may not have had to go through quite the hoops to jump because you're a government entity. But under current FAA regulations, you're required even as small town local law enforcement or county park you're the county commissioners. You want to show, shoot some promotional videos for your uh, convention. and or the Chamber of Commerce type thing. Cham- come, to, come to Pike County, Georgia. If you are a government entity, mm-hmm. then yes, you have to request authorization. Mm-hmm. It's a less... A burdensome process than a business owner, okay. but you still have to have that. If you don't, yeah. you're then operating outside. I mean, in, in theory, this, you know, as we were talking about off air, um, people that wanted to use this nefariously, I can imagine the uh, the left wanting drone registration and then similar to how they want gun registration. Because um, these, if somebody did want to use a drone for illegal or illicit purposes, it seems like it's pretty easy to use it. Uh, certainly for spying on somebody as a peeping Tom, but also stealing information. Uh, corporate uh, theft. I can imagine somebody trying to have into a computer that may be on the 10th floor 
of a building or something like that. I'm just, you know, throwing stuff out there, but I'm sure it's possible. And if I can think of it, somebody else can think of it. Well, and, I mean, if you're going to throw softballs, I will gladly knock them out of the park every time. Uh, Researchers have, for at least the past couple of years, been demonstrating vulnerability. So the same for example, Wi-Fi network vulnerabilities, that why you have to put passwords, why you have to secure your communications, what you used to have to worry about for maybe the first couple floors of a building. Those same uh, researchers can inappropriately access your network communications now for perhaps in this case, they were in, I believe it was uh, Japan, mm-hmm. but they demonstrated how they could do network attacks from 40 floors up. Oh, my God. That, you know, in this case, it was a financial services company that it never occurred to them to secure their printer network yep. on the 40th floor. But if you have an airborne aircraft and it's running the right sniffing software, it can... you. Know, pull off that information. Yep. And with financial institutions, banks, uh, wealth management companies, they're printing off all sorts of documents and reports that uh, perhaps shouldn't be privy to the public. So that's... Uh, yeah, you know. but just as with anything, you do have to, uh, when you're when you're entrusted with that kind of information, you have to take some basic mm-hmm. steps. Just as you, know, you may not go... Play baseball, to use that analogy, you may not go step up to the plate to go hit without wearing a helmet. Mm-hmm. You know, from an individual company standpoint or homeowners, you know, secure your networks in your own home. You know, take those basic steps to protect yourself mm-hmm. without having to look to others, and it's part of the way there. Right. And where you've seen sort of that problem is. States, local municipalities figuring out we both want to use them as well as protect our citizens against them. Right. How do you play that into the federal regulatory scheme mm. on down to what should be done? The good news for you is I believe they call that job security. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, absolutely. Yeah, you know what? We could go on for another 30 minutes at least. In fact, I want to have you back um, uh, soon to talk about. So I'm going to do a lot more research on it. I think I'm going to buy my own drone just so I can race Evan Floyd around and uh, and have fun with it. Because uh, when you're g- going out into nature and along the river, you, I'm, we've been able to demonstrate some very picturesque views. And uh, also some of these uh, commercial aspects of it, I think, could be uh, very useful, too. Elizabeth Wharton, Hall Booth Smith, and our resident drone and technology expert not just drones in the uh, sense of they're they're cool little hobbyists but drones as far as uh, drivers of uh, economic engines um, security and uh, perhaps insecurity as well we'll see you next week on Greg's list as always the uh, replay will be on tonight at 6pm podcast will be up later wanted to thank Nick Cooper from AFF and of course Elizabeth Wharton from Hallbooth Smith for this awesome program we'll see you soon on Greg's list thanks this is America's Webradio.com the best in chat radio designed just for you.